that uh, my wife was able to cover for me last week. Uh, every, every December, we have a, uh, a group that comes from all over the country. They come into the panhandle of Florida to a handful of prisons. And they're called Gospel Express, and it's a bunch of it's a bunch of Mennonites that uh, anyhow they're interested. And they come in, and they bring a family in that'll do kind of a, a musical thing, and then they'll have somebody come up and speak. And and so uh, anyhow, it requires my attendance every year because it's just such a massive event. And so I didn't want to tell everybody I wouldn't be here. I kind of wanted to surprise you with my wife. And so uh, I know you guys were blessed by that, and uh, I appreciate her doing that. And I, and I and I know that you guys got to hear. A little bit of her story. Uh, when, when, when I knew I was going to be out and was talking with her, um, I told her that I thought her story would fit in good with what our series is. It's because our series is about kind of the different people that can be in our lineage, the lineage of Christ, and, and how the ultimate thing is to have Christ in our lineage. That's what determines our future. Our past doesn't determine who we are. And her story illustrates that. And and it's what we tried to cover over the series, that we can have some crazy people in our family. It doesn't mean that we have to be crazy. If we accept Christ, it means that we're destined for great things. And so we've had that. You know, Jesus, his genealogy is filled with characters that make you scratch your head a little bit. He has some famous people. He has some godly individuals in his family. But he also has some characters that lost their way along, along their journey. If we were sitting at a large family gathering, what would some of the people that were in his genealogy, what would they be like to be at a dinner table with? And that's what this series is about. First week we looked at distant relatives, and we looked at some of the characters that we don't really know much about in his lineage, but we talked about a few of their stories. Week two we talked about David, and we talked about Solomon, and we talked about those political military people that come to your family gatherings that want to talk politics and military and all that stuff. And, and today I want to look at the story of Ruth and Boaz. Uh, Ruth is one of the most godliest women in out the whole Bible. If you had aspire to be like any woman, she's a woman that you would aspire to be like. Just an incredible woman. Um, but to me, they remind me of that proper family. And so today I want to talk about that proper family within the genealogy of Jesus. Let's pray though. God, thank you this morning for all that you've done, God, for the worship that ushered us into your presence, and now, God, the word that's going to penetrate our hearts and reveal to us some of our shortcomings. God, today I just pray as we, as we look at this story of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi and, and all the characters involved, and, and that, God, you would use this story to speak into our lives, to offer us the realization that there is hope in hopeless situations. God, I pray for each and every person here that your anointing would be real and you would speak to their hearts. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. How many of you have either friends or relatives that you look at them and go, they're the perfect couple? They never argue. They never fight. Their kids are great. They have great jobs. When you see them, they don't have a hair out of place. They always look like they're perfect, right? All of us have that person either in our friendship or in our family or, or, or somewhere in our uh, relationships. But what I have learned is that everybody has struggles and everybody has battles. Just some people conceal it a lot better. I want to give you an illustration um, of a true story. Uh, recently I was driving back from Panama with my kids and my wife. And uh, we got to an area that was kind of congested and so it just caused a little bit of a, of a traffic thing. 
and for no reason, somebody honked their horn at me. I don't know. There's something about the sound of a honking horn that makes ungodly things go through your head. But I was, so they honked their horn and, you know, it kind of angered me a little bit. And I said, man, I'm going to pass them and just show them that I can drive fast, you know. And so we, I get back over into the lane and I get behind them and then they're going slow. So I flash my lights politely at them to move out of the way so I can drive. And when I pass, I see this older, proper lady driving her car. And as I'm driving past it, I hear in the back seat, my son goes, Zeke says, ah. And I said, what is it, son? He said, she just put her middle finger up at me. And I said, well, son, what did you do to make her do that? He's like, all I did is stare out the window. And I learned in that moment that proper people have flaws. That just because they look like someone who wouldn't do such a thing doesn't mean that they're, that they're not going to do that. In the lineage of Jesus, there's a couple that personifies having it all together, and that's Ruth and Boaz. You know, in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, there's only four women listed, not counting Mary, four women listed in there. You have Ruth, who we'll talk about today, Rahab, who we'll talk about next week. Then first, though, you have a woman named Tamar. Now, you may be familiar with her story, but she's listed in there uh, because she had a child with a man named Judah. But how that came about was kind of a weird story. It's in Genesis chapter 38, where uh, Tamar is, is, is married to the oldest son of Judah. And he dies. And so he gives her to the next son who is wicked as well, and God ends up killing him as well. Well, he has one more son who's too young to wed at the time, and so he says to her, hey, just go back to where you're from, and when he's old enough, I'll make sure you two are married, because that's what the Jewish law required them to do. And so uh, time goes on, and, and she knows he is to be of age, but he has not been sent to her for them to wed. And she finds out that Judah is going to be in this town called Timnah, and so she decides to pose herself as a prostitute, she lays with him, and she ends up having a child with him. And what would seem like this weird situation to me, Judah actually is honored that she would kind of call him out on what he had done wrong because he had lied to her and he deceived her. And, and so she's listed in the genealogy of Jesus. And the other woman who's listed in the genealogy of Jesus is Bathsheba. And we all know Bathsheba's story because I talked about her a little bit. She's the wife of David, the mother of Solomon. Um, how she came to David is also a very uh, un unlikely story, but it happens. And, and so we have that. But those are the four women listed in the genealogy of Jesus. But I'll say this. There is no woman more prominent than Ruth outside of Mary within the genealogy of Jesus. She is the only non-Jew a book of the Bible is named after. Every other book of the Bible is named after a Jewish person. Now, the book of Ruth wasn't written by Ruth. It was probably written by, most believe it to be Samuel. But uh, regardless, she is the only non-Jew that a book's named after. That's how important she was. That, that in the canonization of Scripture, when you look at Old Testament, and you had all these Jewish historians who put so much into the correct things within Judaism to allow this book within the canonization of the Old Testament lets you know how important of a woman she really is. So that's the incredible woman that she is. Now Naomi 
has to be included in the story of Ruth because Ruth and Naomi go hand in hand. Naomi, if you don't know, I want to share with you the story of Ruth. And, and then I want to draw one comparison at the very end and then I'll close this with prayer and we'll be out of here. Um, Naomi is married to a man uh, and they have two sons. Well, they decide that there's a famine in Bethlehem because they're of the lineage of David. So they live in Bethlehem and they decide they're going to live, move to a city called Moab. And so they move to Moab. And there's people that live in Moabs. They're, not, they're obviously not Jews. And they also are people that they're not supposed to intermingle with. But both of her sons decided to marry a woman, a Moabite woman. And one of those happens to be um, Ruth. Well, Naomi's husband dies. Ten years into marriage, both of her sons die. And so Naomi is left as a widow and not only a, just a widow without a husband, but a widow without any future hope of any children to inherit what she has. And so she looks at her two daughters-in-law, one being Ruth, the other one being a, name, a, a, a lady named Orpah, whose name, if you're not careful, looks like Oprah, right? Have you, did you make that mistake? You're like, Oprah? But these two women, uh, she looks at them both and she says, go back to your families." I'm going to go back to where I'm from. And she's basically going to try to go back and just scrounge and, and make her living until she dies. And, and uh, it takes some convincing, but Orpah decides that she's going to move on. But uh, Ruth looks at her and says, no. And she makes this pledge with her. She says, where you die, I'll die. Where you live, I'll live. And whatever God you serve will be my God as well. And so in that moment, those two are joined together and they've moved back to Bethlehem. Now remember this place because it's important when we go 500 years later from this. They move back to Bethlehem. And Ruth has decided that she is going to be the breadwinner for her and Naomi. Uh, I don't know if you gather this much, but when you read scripture, you see there's not a lot of importance given to women who are widows and to orphans. Those are two groups that are kind of outcasts. To kind of alleviate this, there was actually a law put in place that said that Anybody who owned land could not work the outside of their land, that it had to be left where widows and orphans could come in and work that for themselves. It was also said that when they came through and they began to work fields, anything left behind they couldn't go back for. It could be picked up by those who were struggling. And so that was the way that they were able to provide. And so Ruth looks at her mother-in-law and says, I want to go and work and make an earning for us. And so the first day Ruth goes out and she begins to work in what seems to be three different fields. And as she's working kind of the widow's path, the man named Boaz comes out and he, and, he, and he looks at how hard she's working. He says, and he brings that up to the servants and they go, she has not stopped working all day. Not even to rest. She has been working nonstop. And, and he's impressed by her work ethic. And then they say, and oh yeah, she's one of your kinfolks. Because she's Naomi's daughter-in-law. And Boaz and uh, Naomi were kin to each other. And so he's impressed by this. He's impressed by her hard work. And so he begins to do something. He begins to tell his workers to leave a little bit extra behind so that she could gather it and take it home. And so she would use this not only to provide food for her and to Naomi, but also as a way to uh, get other supplies that they needed. And so she would do these things. And and what I love about Ruth is she never went, in, went into this story with the hope of forming a marriage. She didn't go, all right, I've heard about Boaz. He's rich. He treats his people well. 
that's the man that I want to marry. She actually went in and she said, I want to work as hard as I can because I want to honor God. And I also want to honor those that I'm working for. What we find about Boaz is in the the book of Ruth, which is four chapters long, that tells us that, that Boaz every day would greet his workers with blessings on you and they would reply back and blessings from God upon you. He would always greet them, and, and he was known for his reputation of being able to treat people well. And so what an incredible thing that God would take someone who needed to be treated well and bring somebody who treats people well into the same story. But Ruth uh, goes to Naomi, and they begin to be in conversation, and Naomi says, you should present yourself to Boaz to be married. And so she does just that. She decides to present herself to Boaz. Now, Boaz was a rich man. Boaz had a great reputation. Boaz was also the son of Rahab and Salmon. So he had a pretty rich history himself. And so um, so she decides one night to go present herself to him in marriage. And, and it's, one of, it's a really beautiful verse. Um, she wants him to know that she wants his hand in marriage, that she's interested in that. And so in Ruth chapter 3, verse 9, he said... Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. What would happen is if I wanted to marry my wife, what I would do is I would take a cloak and I would place it over my wife and over I, and it would be my way of of expressing my desire to be engaged with her or to be betrothed to her is what the Bible would say. So what she's saying is spread your wings over me. She's saying spread your cloak over me and redeem me. Because the only hope she ever had of leaving the poverty and kind of the situation she was in was for someone to marry her and to redeem her out of that poverty. And so she looked at him and said spread your wings over me and be my redeemer. What an incredible story because it has an illustration to something that would come a little later. Well, Boaz realizes that he's not actually the next of kin. He's actually second in line of people who could marry her. And so he says, let me go to your kinsman redeemer. Okay, and the kinsman redeemer is a male relative who, according to the various laws of the Pentateuch, had the privilege or responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble, danger, or need. So basically, if I noticed somebody within my family... Like say I had a brother and he died and I noticed his wife was struggling and their kids were struggling. I would be her kinsman redeemer. I could then marry her just to save her from that. It didn't necessarily have to be a love thing, but it had to do more with pulling somebody out of a situation. And so he goes to the first kinsman redeemer. And he says to him, how would you like to buy Naomi's land? I love that because the dude immediately responds, well, yeah, I'd love to buy it. He's like, well... If you buy it, you also have to marry Ruth. And the guy kind of backpedals a little bit. He says, well, I can't marry her because it's going to mess up my inheritance for everyone else. And so what he immediately thought was, if I marry her, that's one more person that gets a piece of my inheritance. And then if we have kids, that's more that we have to divide it amongst. And so he says, no, you have my blessing to marry her. Now, I was reading the story, and I kept thinking, How does Naomi have land to sell, but they're out there scrounging, trying to make a living, right? So I did some research, and here's what I found out. That a Jewish person 
could never actually sell their land outside of their family. Well, what most likely happened is whenever uh, Naomi and her family left Bethlehem, that her husband sold the land, but really what he did is leased the land. The land still stayed in the possession of the family. If I sold my land outside of my family, in 50 years it would be called a jubilee. And at the jubilee, my land would be returned back to me, whether you bought it or not. And so it became essentially a lease, and he had leased this out. And undoubtedly, a lot of that time had passed, and they were ready for Naomi to take possession of it. But here's the problem. Naomi's a widow. She can't inherit the land, and she has nobody to pass the land on to. And so it was kind of desolate land. Nobody had any control over it. And so Boaz realizes the situation and says, I have a solution for all the problems. He wants to marry Ruth, who is a wonderful, godly woman who demonstrated to him the blessings of God in her life and the joy of the Lord in her heart. He wanted to marry her. He wanted to help Naomi out, who was one of his family members. And so he bought the land, gave Naomi the money, and him and Ruth became the ones who possessed the land. What I love of this story is the woman who worked the field became the one who owned the field she worked in. Because it's a demonstration that hard work pays out through blessings. Countless times through the book of Psalms and even in Proverbs, we hear verses and read verses where it says that God honors those who works hard. It doesn't mean that we have to go out and slave in a field in order to get the blessings of God. It just means that he wants dedication from us. Right? The most beautiful thing of the Christmas story is God's dedication to mankind. That he didn't break a promise that he'd given us back in Genesis 3.15. When he looked at a broken humanity, he said, I want to offer a solution. And he never broke that dedication to us. That he honored his dedication to us. And therefore, he looks at his people and says, if you work, if you stay dedicated, if you serve, I will bless you. Now, blessings don't always come as we hope. Blessings don't come in the form of some rich man marrying us. Um, Blessings sometimes come in the form of the joy that's instilled inside of our heart. When we can look at a situation that's been fixed and go, that makes me feel good about things. But this story demonstrates that God blesses those who work hard for him. But Ruth and Boaz are such an incredible couple, right? They're the perfect couple. We actually don't read of any flaws of either one of them. We, we read this beautiful picture of who they are. And I think of it as that aunt and uncle who's sitting at your table that you're like, man, I hate them. I hate their kids. They have everything all together. Naomi was rewarded through all this because a woman who had no hope was given a grandchild whose name was Obed. And, and a woman who thought she would never cradle her own grandchild. Can you imagine when she grabbed Obed in her arms and said, man, I, here's my future inheritor. What an incredible thing. Little did she know that Obed would give birth to Jesse and Jesse would give birth to David and, and she would be the great, great grandmother of one of the greatest kings to ever live on the face of the earth. But God honored her faithfulness. That when some tragedy hit that would cause most of us to blame God, she turned to God. That she didn't look at this troubling situation and go, God, how could you bring me out of famine just to get me miles away from my home and then kill all the men in my life? She looked at it and said, it's, it's time for me to go home. The story illustrates 
that God uses tragedy to bring his people back. We, we were talking Wednesday night when we were praying for a certain family. And, and we had talked about that sometimes God uses that in order to reach those who aren't open to him at the time. When we do Bible studies at the prison, there was a man the other day who talked to me. He said, man, I, I wish my church was disengaged when it t- comes to the services at the prison. And I said, the problem is most people at a church, they haven't hit rock bottom yet. And so when you hit rock bottom, all you can look is up. Well, we have the opportunity to look down on people and to look up to God. And a lot of times we choose to look down. And that causes the animosity and the division and the lack of dedication. And the story of Ruth and Boaz illustrate to us that hard work comes with blessings. That God uses tragedy to call his people home. But the most beautiful thing that this story illustrates is that it's a foreshadow of someone that was to come in 500 years from the same lineage of Ruth and Boaz. Luke 8, I'm excuse me, Luke 2, 8 through 11 says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, which is Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In that announcements and proclamation of the angels, we had the greatest revelation of what a kinsman redeemer really is. It was great what Boaz did. Boaz pulled Ruth and Naomi out of a desperate situation and gave them a future hope. But what Christ did for us in that same town of Bethlehem when he was born was he offered hope to those of us living in a wicked world. That we could look at the tragedy of our world and go, there's hope though because our kinsman redeemer has redeemed us out of this situation. He redeemed us from our wicked, our poor, our desolate life, and brought us into His eternity. That He looked at us, and despite how unlovable as we were, and Boaz had the same thing, it was not looked upon very nicely for a Jew, a proper Jew, to marry a Moabite woman. But he didn't care. He looked at the woman and said, I don't care the labels that are on you. I don't care the past that you had. All I care about is who you are. And I love you for that. And Jesus looked down upon us. And he said, I don't care about the past you have, the labels that you have. All I care about is who you are. And I love you for who you are. And he redeemed us in that Christmas season. In the celebration that we have Each year when December 25th rolls around is that our kinsman redeemer redeemed us when he entered our world. And when we sing joy to the world, our joy is that we can now have an everlasting home with our creator. If Ruth and Boaz shows us nothing, it shows us the satisfaction we should have in the completed work of the cross. It shows us that when he 
entered our world and He hung on that tree and He resurrected from the grave, that through that He offered to us something that we could not buy, something we could not earn, and something we could not obtain of ourselves. He offered us salvation. And in salvation, He offered us redemption back to Him. And this morning, I don't know what you're going through, but I want to read to you this verse about Jesus in Psalms 82 and 4. It says, He rescues the weak and the needy. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Whatever you're facing this morning, whatever you're going through in this very time, I want to remind you that your kinsman redeemer has redeemed you from that when he entered our world. In this Christmas season, you no longer have to feel the grasp of the wicked upon you. You don't have to feel the hands of those trying to pull you back. But you can see the loving, nail-scarred hands of your Savior who reaches and grabs you and brings you home. He has redeemed you. He saved you. And he wants you to be his. Let's pray. God, thank you this morning for who you are. God, this Christmas season, the celebration that we have is of the redemption of Christ. And God, this morning as we turn to you, uh, Lord, I just ask that if there's anyone here today who hasn't surrendered or, or they're struggling with that redeemed possibility of them, that you would begin to work right now. God, that you would just begin to move in their heart, God, that they would feel the urgency of surrender to you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to give you that chance. If you're here this morning, and you've seen the beautiful story of Ruth and Boaz, and you saw how much it meant and, and what joy it brought to Ruth and Naomi through Boaz's redemption of her, well, this morning Christ wants to do that to you. If you're here this morning and you go, I need redemption. I want that joy that she had. I want to escape this life that I live. I want something greater. If that's you this morning while the praise team plays, I want to be up front and, and I want to pray with you. And I want to bring you into fellowship with your kinsman redeemed. Oh.